You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Good morning, Illini Life. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Russell Dietrich, and I've been on staff with the church for about eight years now. Uh, Right off the bat, I just wanted to say I hope you're having a a very good Christmas season so far. I know it's strange to be celebrating in the midst of a pandemic, but I hope that uh, the pandemic hasn't hindered your ability to just enjoy Jesus and commemorating his birth this season. Now, the last time that you guys uh, heard from me uh, from the pulpit was, was all the way back in September of 2020. So I'm really excited to be back, and I'm really thrilled to be able to wrap up the semester and get our hearts centered on Jesus as we prepare for Christmas. Now, the reason I've been gone for so long is my wife and I, we welcomed our first child into the world on October 13th. His name is August Joy Dietrich, and uh, I brought a picture if you guys want to see. So there he is sleeping. Um, This little guy, he was born uh, at 11.38 p.m., On the 13th, he weighed 8 pounds, 3 ounces, and was 22 inches long. We uh, named him after my dad, whose middle name is August, and Megan's great-grandfather, whose name uh, was Joy. Now, August, uh, we came to find out, is derived from the Latin auger, which means to increase. So his name literally means to increase joy. And needless to say, our joy has been increased more than either of us could have ever imagined. And not only that, it's been amazing to see the joy that this baby has brought, not just to us, but to our family and to our friends as well. He, he is a bundle of joy. So today is actually August's uh, second month birthday, and I've been a parent now for over uh, a little over eight weeks, right? Now, there's one thing that's been kind of funny to me about uh, being a parent, and it's, it's how excited complete strangers get whenever they see little August in his stroller or carrier. For instance, back when the weather was warm, uh, I took him out for a walk around Meadowbrook Park. And during our time on the path, he had three people go, aww. He had at least two people go, oh, look how small he is. And then uh, usually the older generation, they're a little more forward and they'll just ask, oh, how old is he? Now. Beforehand, uh, when I would walk around Meadowbrook, people would usually, uh, you know, not look at me at all. Or if they did, they would glare at me or maybe give me a polite, you know, sup. You guys know the sup, sup. But but other than that, you know, I didn't have much interaction with people at the park. So it kind of caught me off guard at how friendly and excited people got at the sight of my baby. Complete strangers. They just loved it. It actually happened uh, to me on Friday at Hallmark. We were there to buy a thank you card for our amazing Sunday producer, Maddie, no spoilers. Um, And the clerk, she just couldn't contain herself. She she was like, oh wow, look how alert that baby is. Oh, and and so healthy, look at those rosy cheeks. I was worried she was gonna take her mask off and start giving him Eskimo kisses. So I was just like, hey, back off lady. Anyway, all this to say, it's amazing to me the kind of response that babies will elicit in people, even from complete strangers. 
And as I've reflected on it, I think a lot of it is because babies, well, they're just so dang cute, right? We can't help ourselves. I, I know I can't whenever I see a new baby. But I also think newborns, they, they bring us a sense of hope. Babies in a lot of ways are a blank slate. And they allow us the ability to project our hopes and our dreams for the future onto them. Now, in a similar way to how a wide variety of strangers have been responding to seeing my baby, today's sermon is going to be examining two very different responses to a different baby. And actually, this baby, even though I really love August, this baby, he pales in comparison to this one. And that baby, as you may have guessed, is King Jesus. Now, for those of you that are just joining us for the first time, we are in the midst of a two-week Advent series called Behold Your King. And over these, uh, the, you know, last week and, and this week, we, we've been looking at how different people have responded to the news of the birth of Jesus. Last week, Ashley walked us through the reactions of Simeon and Anna, two people that worked in the temple and were filled with awe and wonder upon meeting baby Jesus. This week's sermon, one of the reactions is going to be a little different. But let's, let's catch up a little bit, okay? Over the past two semesters, we, we've been walking through the Old Testament books of Judges and Samuel. In those books, we saw the nation of Israel reject Yahweh as their king, and they demanded an earthly king. This past semester, we learned about Saul and David, two kings of Israel that failed mightily and painfully reminded us as God's people that the only true king of Israel is God. Now, following David, Israel had many, many, many more kings and a whole lot more drama. And we're, we're pretty much going to fly over that today. And we're going to be finding ourselves in a time in history where B.C. turns into A.D. And we're going to be learning about another king who ruled over the people of Israel. His name is King Herod. We're going to be looking at his response to the news of a baby being born. And we're going to contrast his response with the response of three religious outsiders who were in search of the true king of Israel themselves. So let's dive into the story today and see what God has for us in the scriptures. If you want to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, um, I'll give you guys a second to open up there. So once again, it's Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. All right, let's read together. I'm reading from the ESV. The visit of the wise men. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod the, um, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now our story begins after the birth of Jesus. And just so you know, some time would have passed. Jesus is going to be somewhere between six months to two years old. And he's no longer in a stable, but rather he's in a home. We, we don't know a lot of the details other than that. But as we read, we're going to be introduced to a new character, a man named King Herod. And this king was ruling in Jerusalem in a land that was now called Judea. And this king is met by wise men from the east, and they're looking for the king of the Jews. Now, right off the bat, you should be chuckling that these wise men would be asking a guy who viewed himself as king of the Jews where the king of the Jews was. But I, I think we need to do a little work before we can fully appreciate King Herod's response and his story. So I would like to give you guys a little historical background on the king and try to catch us up where things ended with King David and how we got here. So following King David, he had a son with Bathsheba. You remember that story. Um, and that son's name was Solomon. Similar to his dad, uh, Solomon would have a checkered reign as a king. He would have many successes and many failures. The, the biggest success was that he constructed the first temple of Israel. And this was a big deal because the people of God now had a permanent place to worship. They, they were settled in the promised land. They would no longer have to be nomads. How, how relieving would that have felt for them? Unfortunately, though, following Solomon's reign, things in Israel start to go really bad really quick. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of corruption. And there's so much division that the kingdom of Israel splits into two. And things can get kind of confusing here, so I want you to pay close attention. One of the kingdoms, they, they keep the name Israel. That's where a lot of the confusion comes into place. And then the other kingdom, they call themselves the kingdom of Judah. The capital of Israel, or Ephraim, if you want another name for it, becomes Samaria. And the capital of Judah becomes Jerusalem. Keep that in mind, okay? After about 200 years, the kingdom of Israel is taken captive by the nation of Assyria. And in many ways, those tribes that were part of that kingdom are lost. The kingdom of Judah, however, hangs on for another 300 years. But then, unfortunately, they're taken captive by a different nation, the nation of Babylon. And tragically, they are exiled, and their temple that Solomon built is destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. At this point in the history of the people of God, things are really, really bad. Now, earthly kingdoms rise and fall, and over time, the Babylonians will fall, and they're taken over by the Persian kingdom. The Persian kingdom and, the, and their leaders, they, 
They feel some empathy for the people of Judah, and they allow them to return to rebuild their city. And this rebuilding is, is covered in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. The kingdom of Judah then acts as the true remnant of that original kingdom of Israel, the, the 12 tribes of Jacob. And that's why in the New Testament, God's people aren't usually referred to as Israelites anymore. They're referred to as Jews. This word Jew is derived from the word Judah or a Judite. And, and that's where we get the word Jew from and Judea, the region in which they lived. So when the wise men ask, who has been born king of the Jews? It's the same as if they would have asked, who is born the king of the Hebrews or who is born the king of the Israelites? The Jews were the same chosen people of the Old Testament. Their name had just evolved over several hundred years in captivity. So I, I hope that makes some sense of why they were asking for the king of the Jews and, and where we get that word Jews from. So how does Herod fit into all of this? Well, in many ways, Jerusalem and its surrounding region, Judea, uh, that area is going to be in constant turmoil for centuries. And it's going to switch hands between empires as they, as they rise up. The Greeks will take over from the Persians for a time and we'll have a, what's called the Hellenistic period. And, and this is where the Greek lang language is introduced to the region. And, and that's why the New Testament's written in Greek. After the Greeks, the Romans will take over. And that's going to be the current socio-political situation we find ourselves in today for our story. So it was during Roman reign that Herod became king of Judea. And Herod became king not by God installing him, no. Rather, Herod became king because he had a good family. And he was a shrewd diplomat. And he was a, a talented politician. He became the sole ruler of Judea beneath the blessing and the approval of Rome. He was not a king in the same sense that the previous kings of Israel and Judah would have been. Even Saul, he, you, you can't compare the two. He was entirely an earthly king. Now the last and important detail we need to know about Herod is that he was an Edomite. These people were descendants of Esau. As, um, but God's people were descendants of Jacob and they were, they were brothers. We learned about that uh, many, many semesters ago. But Herod's family had converted to Judaism, however, so he would have been raised a Jew. But this lineage, this, this non-Jewish lineage, being an Edomite, people would have known about that. And for him, he probably would have been deeply insecure about it. And he might... That, that might have even been a source of trouble for him. So ha having all that in mind, right? All of that history in mind, how rich does this next line become? Let, let me read it to you again. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, if you were confused like me when you first read that, hopefully knowing Herod's background, it, it illuminates why he would have been troubled by the wise men asking him where this new king of the Jews was born. Theologian R.T. France in the Tyndale New Testament commentary, he describes Herod's concern as understandable. As an Edomite and a Roman appointee, Herod would have been vulnerable to the claims of a, of a king 
who could claim true Davidic dynasty. And we know this from history, but Herod had a lot of fear and anxiety over his rivals. He was very anxious about losing his power. So Herod's response to the news of Jesus wasn't one of delight, wonder, and worship. It was one of fear and worry, of distress, of trouble. And not only was he troubled, but all of Jerusalem was troubled. Now, why would all of Jerusalem have been troubled, you may may be asking. Well, we can answer this question in a few different ways, right? You could understand the word Jerusalem as describing the, the political center of Judea, right? In a similar way, we say in Washington to describe the legislative, executive, and judicial branch. We're not talking about the city in that moment. We're talking about the, the kind of political house. So Matthew could have been telling us that Herod's house and his sphere of influence, they were also troubled because their leader was troubled. But we can also understand it as the whole city being troubled because they were anxious about how King Herod would respond to such a threat. Herod had many great accomplishments, and in a secular sense, he was a very successful king. Many of his achievements were architectural, and and the the crown jewel of of his uh, time as king would have been his restoration of the second temple. So the Jews, they rebuilt their temple when they they returned with Nezra and and Nehemiah, but it, it wasn't, you know, much to behold. So he refurbished it and and rebuilt it and restored it and made it great and beautiful. But Herod was also quite ruthless. He murdered his own wife, several sons, and other relatives, all out of that fear, that, that being troubled. So for the people that were under his rule, knowing this, they might have been worried, how is Herod going to respond to this messianic threat to his throne? Now in his trouble, right, Herod consults with the key religious leaders and the interpreters of scripture. He tries to get some intel on where the king of the Jews was to be born. And these people use the scriptures and they tell him in Bethlehem in Judea. Now using this information, he secretly summons the wise men to come back. And he tries to derive a timeline and he asks them to go and please search diligently for the child so that he can worship him. Now, now, don't be fooled by that, right? What we know about Herod, we have to assume this would have been a ruse. His desire for knowing where Jesus was was not so that he could worship him. Absolutely not. He wanted to know where Jesus was so he could kill him and protect his reign. So that's the first response we see to baby Jesus. One of trouble, one of worry, one of scheming to self-protect and micromanagement. Now, at this point in the story, we're going to depart from Herod for a time. And we're going to spend a few moments looking at the people who brought the troubling news, the wise men. Now, the Greek word that's being translated as wise men is, the, is actually the word magi, which was originally the Persian priestly class. The, the Persians had ruled over that area for a time, as you may recall. But later, uh, this phrase magi just kind of came to describe people that were experts in astrology and magic. These would have been the, the mystics and the alchemists and the, and the astrologers of, of the ancient Near East, right? 
And they were deeply concerned with the many mysteries of the world, with the stars, with the cosmos. One thing of note that I saw was interesting is that nowhere in this story are we told that there are three wise men. There could have been a bunch. That number came along at some point in church tradition, and I'm guessing it's probably in reference to the three gifts. So it's actually more accurate to assume that they would have had a large traveling party, a caravan of sorts. And as I mentioned earlier, they would have been arriving sometime after the birth of Jesus. They, they weren't all there with the shepherds on the same night. It's also important to note that the Magi would have most likely been religious outsiders. They probably weren't Jewish believers, though they had some, some knowledge of, of Jewish culture. Nonetheless, they were able to observe the skies and take note of a sign that God put forth for all creation to see. How cool is that, right? And they didn't just acknowledge the sign and go on with their lives. No, they took action. They convened a caravan. They made a long journey to come and find the king of the Jews because they just wanted to worship him. Knowing what we know about Jewish history now, it makes sense that in the search for the king of the Jews, their first stop would be Jerusalem. That was kind of the, the center for Jewish people. And it's here that our characters, the wise men, they intersect and, and come across Herod, asking him for advice on where they could find the king of the Jews. Herod, as we know, he directs them to Bethlehem and asks them to look for the baby on his behalf. And that's where our story continues. Along the journey, um, they're, they're, okay, so let, let's step back a little bit. So the whole reason the Magi got off on this journey to begin with was that there was a star that notified them, basically, that something amazing was happening. And um, as they started their journey again, that star made a reappearance. But you might be like I was kind of caught off guard by the star. And I want to just briefly comment on it. So most commentators, they think it's best to understand the star as a supernatural phenomenon, uh, much like the cloud of smoke and fire that led the Israelites to the promised land in Exodus. Some have pondered if it was a comet or an eclipse or some alignment of stars in the sky that made it look extra bright. And that can be an interesting exercise to go through, but it most likely was just a miracle, right? A, a supernatural form of, of guidance delivered in a context that the wise men would have understood and appreciated. God was speaking to them in a way that they could understand. Regardless of how the star gets to the wise men, um, what matters is that it gets them to where they, they wanted to be going. And when they see the star again, they're filled with so much joy and excitement. They were thrilled. The star is back. It's guiding us. It's going to take us to where we want to go. Now the star, it will guide them to the home where Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were. And watch closely what happens next when they finally meet. Verse 11 says, They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. There is our second response, right? Right there. One of worship, of rejoicing, of excitement, awe and wonder. Not trouble. Not worry. 
And they didn't just have an emotional response, right? They, they had a, a tangible physical response. Uh, their, their joy over King Jesus resulted in them giving good gifts. They gave really nice stuff to this little baby. I can only imagine how Mary and Joseph must have felt in that moment. Now, one time right after August was born, we uh, came to our front porch and we saw a tower of diapers, honestly, like stacked higher than, you know, almost up to my nose. And we were just overcome that people thought of us and they thought to give us all these diapers that we needed. And they were from some of Megan's uh, faculty, people that we don't know super well. But they were just so excited for us and so in awe of this little baby that they, they gave us this gift. Now, diapers compared to gold and these amazing spices and, and, and herbs and stuff like that, it, it pales in comparison. And that's how odd these wise men were. They gave Jesus valuable possessions, presents. Jesus, not Jesus, sorry, Joseph and Mary, I, I can only imagine that they were tearing up, blushing with pride, feeling overwhelmed with emotion. And in Luke, we're told Mary likes to treasure things in her heart, right? And I gotta believe that this was one of those moments that she just deposited right into her heart and reflected on for years to come. How cool would that moment have been? And not only do Mary and Joseph treasure this moment, right? But, but we treasure the moment. For thousands of years now, Christians across the planet, in different ways, we commemorate this scene with our nativity sets. In America, uh, many households will drag on the front lawn these, these big plastic figures that are lit up from the back, and they, they set up something called the nativity. Other people, this is how we do it. We, we have a nativity in a great place of honor on our mantle. And that nativity has three wise men. Now, chronologically, nativities, I know they're not the most accurate, but that's not the point. The point is that we're commemorating this story thousands of years later still. And not, not only do we commemorate it with the nativity scene, we commemorate it by giving each other presents. Now, I will gladly receive gold from any of you. Bouillon, preferably. But in all seriousness, we, we give presents, right? In honor of this story. We give gifts because that's what the wise men did first. They gave Jesus a gift. And we're also giving gifts in response to the amazing gift of grace that God gave us through this baby. What an amazing moment in history. Fortunately for all of humanity, Herod does not make an appearance in the nativity scene. Because in a dream, the wise men are, are warned not to return to Herod. And the wise men obey the instructions given to them supernaturally. And thanks be to God for that, right? Because if you continue reading the story, Mary and Joseph will be able to escape Herod's wrath and flee to Egypt over the coming threat. So in this story, we're given two very drastically different responses. On the one hand, we have Herod's response. An earthly king consumed by earthly concerns and fearful over what the birth of Jesus will mean for his life. Herod's response to Jesus is initially feeling troubled, 
and he tried to micromanage the situation. But when that plan backfires and the wise men don't return, his trouble turns to rage, and his rage leads to murder, the killing of every male in Bethlehem, age two and under. This is honestly a heartbreaking response. It's disgusting, it's gutting, it's brutal. But unfortunately, it's common. Rejecting Jesus is very common. Now, not many people are in a position to give an edict ending the lives of thousands of children. But many have looked at Jesus and have been troubled and even enraged by the cost it was going to have against their lives. Many have looked at Jesus and decided that it would make life too uncomfortable. It would require too many sacrifices. It would require too much of their earthly possessions of their money. Herod's response to Jesus is an extreme form of the common response that most people have and which results in most people rejecting him. Most people choose the path Herod chose and they reject Jesus over self-protection. Jesus knew this, right? Later on in his life, he, he would say, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his, his soul? Many people have chose the world and they've lost their soul. Herod, example A, right? He gained the world in many senses. He was a king. He had beautiful palaces. He's, he's recorded in history books. But he ultimately lost his soul and his kingdom came to an end. There is no longer a Herodian dynasty. It's gone. But there's still the Davidic dynasty. It lives on through Jesus forever and ever. God's people still have a king forever and ever. For some of you listening today, you need to be sobered by Herod's story and confess the ways that King Jesus makes you feel troubled and repent of those ways. Be like the wise men, bow down and worship him. The wise men's response, it provides for us a contrast to King Herod. Not only do they make great sacrifices to go on the journey initially, when they eventually come across King Jesus, they bow down and worship him. And they, and they, they don't just do that, they, they give him gifts, they give of their earthly possessions. The journey for the, the Magi was costly, risking their lives to protect Jesus in, in his location. That, that was costly. Herod could have killed them if he found them. And giving away precious metals and spices, that was costly. Those things cost money. But it, it didn't matter to them. They were ready to lose it all just for a glimpse at the king of the Jews. How humbling is it for us that religious outsiders had a more godly response to King Jesus than the ruling class of excuse me, than the ruling class of Jerusalem. But that's been Jesus' style since, since forever. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, right? 
Now to close, I wanted to share a stanza from my favorite Christmas song, O Holy Night. This song is one of several Christmas songs that we referenced as we came up with our series title, Behold Your King. I think this verse is a fitting end to our series, and I hope it's a, it's a way for you to launch into the Christmas season. It recounts the story of the wise men, and it reads, Led by the light of a star sweetly gleaming, here comes the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials born to be our friend. He knows our need, to our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king, before him lowly bent. Behold your king, Illini life, his name is Jesus. And lowly bend before him with your livelihood, your earthly possessions, and with all that you have within. He is the true king of Israel, the true king of Judea, and the true king of all nations through all times. Let's worship him and let's remember him this Christmas. Merry Christmas, Alana Life. Let's sing in response. <laughs>